0: Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan.
1: Ready, ready. All right, here we go. From the ten, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown.
0: You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> Big
1: bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right.
2: That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to (laughs) bet? And we are underway.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Week 2 XFL Fantasy Flex, the X-Flex. On the Action Network Podcast, I'm Matthew Friedman, the Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. In this episode, we are breaking down the Week 2 XFL games from a sports betting perspective. We are highlighting some players we like for daily fantasy, and we are looking for value in the XFL futures market. With me, as always, are Sean Corner and Chris Raybon. Sean is our Director of Predictive Analytics and one of the top in-season fantasy football rankers for the past half decade. And Chris is a Senior Editor and Analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of the Action Network show. On Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio. Gentlemen, let's jump into it. Week one, I thought it was fantastic. I want to get your thoughts on it, specifically what we learned from a sports betting perspective. Sean, what did you learn?
2: Well, you know, heading into week one, I was, I was just being pretty cautious about it. I was advising not to be too aggressive. You know, we, we really don't know how these teams are going to perform until we see them play. Uh, so the only futures bet I made was um, the under 7.5 win totals for Tampa Bay. I thought that was way too high, even though I thought they could be one of the best teams. Um, I think we learned week one that they might not be, um, and we could talk about that later. I think they might be offering value uh, this week because of it. Um, and the, other, the only other bet I made um, for week one specifically was St. Louis getting 10 points against Dallas. I thought that was way too high, especially with Dallas missing their starting QB uh, but other than that, I mean, we learned a little bit about the teams themselves. I think we have a pretty good idea of, you know, who the top two teams are, probably D.C. and Houston, and the, the worst team is probably Seattle. But just for a high-level point of view, I, I think we still have some, you know, more learning about the teams specifically. I think this week will help us out even more. But when it came to totals specifically, I thought that was what week one was all about. So I was doing a lot of live in-game betting and trying to get a feel for that. And I know we kind of agreed that, you know, the totals probably be around 47 would seem about right. Um, And we saw the market, you know, bet all the way up to about 51 to 52 for some of these games. And um, after the first couple of games, it, it certainly looked like, you know, that was a pretty good line. But The next two are super low scoring. So it looks like the market settled down to 47, about 47, which we thought this week. So I'm not seeing much value on the totals. But again, this week could show us something the other way. We could see four high scoring games. So curious to hear what you guys think about just totals in general, because that's, I think that's still a volatile thing that we haven't quite learned, um, you know, that much quite yet.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with totals. As we were recording this, FanDuel has uh, just posted lines, and they are including totals, and I I think they're still a tad high. Uh, so that's something for us to keep an eye on. If you look at Action Network right now, we posted earlier in the week uh, a piece in which we broke down some of the lessons we are taking away from week one. And, Raybon, uh, you had a lot of things to
0: talk about. What are some of the things you noticed for week one? That's a good way to put it, noticed. You know, I don't. takeaway is a strong word, but – um, you know, the first thing, obviously, the scoring. The average combined points for the two teams over the four games was just 38.5. Now, um, in the NFL, you usually expect about 45.5 to 46. So um, those two games on Sunday, we only have four games to go off of, <laughs> kind of lowered it down. And then, A lot of it could have been due maybe to some of the teams missing their starting quarterbacks. You know, L.A. only scored 17, Dallas scored nine. Um, Both of those teams project to be starting different uh, quarterbacks going forward. But also teams were conservative, you know, fourth downs, conservative in terms of their after touchdown conversions. That could also change. But right now, those 50 plus totals, I think, are still way too high given what we saw overall in week one. And then home field advantage, another thing that's kind of tough to gauge after just one week, but home teams did go three and one straight up and against the spread. Their average uh, scoring margin was uh, plus 11 and a half. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the New York Guardians had a big home win as an underdog. So that helped that a lot. And then passing, just like in the regular NFL, passing was, seemed to be the more efficient way to move the football. Um, interestingly enough, the average yards per attempt was only 6.3 when the NFL is usually, uh, you know, well over seven, about 7.4, 7.5. So even though passing was less efficient, if you looked, um, you know, being able to convert on uh, passing attempts into touchdowns and, and not turning the ball over, that was huge. Uh, the four winning teams had a touchdown to interception ratio of eight to one, and the four losing teams had a touchdown and to interception ratio of four to six. So, you know, turnovers, passing, being able to stop the pass, the same things that we kind of are used to in, on any level of football. Um, you know, they played a big part, but, um, and that's all without really teams making use of a lot of trickery and the double forward pass and, and all that. So uh, thos, those things are interesting. And I think that, you know, as teams get better at that, uh, the totals could tick up, but overall, I thought defense has probably played a little better than we Uh, expected in in week one. And and it's caused some volatility in the futures market where we saw a couple of the favorites, you know, Dallas and uh, New York. They went from essentially plus, you know, three to one or four to one all the way down to six to one, seven to one. So it's gonna, early in the year, I think it's a good time to kind of hit the futures market um, at, rather than um, jumping on every single game, you know, you can take a team like Tampa Bay, who was one of the favorites coming into the year, Dallas, um, at, at a much better price right now. And, and Tampa Bay in particular, they're playing, they're starting the season with two straight uh, road games. And if home field is a little more important than we thought, uh, that could factor into their value going forward.
1: Uh, great stuff there, Rayvon. Um, let's jump in to these games. Uh, and, and I'm I'm excited, really. Uh, we have the New York Guardians at the D.C. Defenders. These right now are the two teams at the top of the futures market after week one. So, uh, you know, presumably, if not the two best teams in the league, two of the better teams in the league. And this number has moved. Uh, the D.C. Defenders are now, if you're looking at FanDuel, six-and-a-half point favorites, and the over-under is 48. Sean, what are you thinking when you see this game?
2: Yeah, like you mentioned, I, I think both teams look really good week one. So th- this should be a good game. Um, New York beat the team that, that had the highest win total entering week one, Tampa Bay and D.C. Uh, you know, they beat the team at the lowest um, win total and are probably the, the worst team in the league in Seattle. So I think we could take more away from New York's win. Uh, last week, and, you know, Cardell Jones does look good. He looks like, you know, a top-two QB in this league. I think they're going to be a, a tough team to beat. Uh, but they did benefit from – they had a block punt a return for touchdown, a pick six, um, a double flea flicker deep play to Kari Lee where he stumbled in the end zone, basically. Um, so that there was a little bit of luck involved in their uh, blowout win. So I think there, there is some opportunity for value right here, getting the plus six and a half. Um, I know we thought it'd be closer to, you know, three and a half. Um, So yeah, I think this is probably just a little bit of an overreaction in week one when, you know, everybody knows that DC is probably one of the top teams, but it's still too early to be um, floating that big of a number to a team like New York that did actually look good week one is one of the more surprising teams. So um, I think I'd be leaning uh, guardians at plus six and a half.
1: I'm entirely with you and not, I mean, the three touchdowns that you mentioned plus the other touchdown that Cardell Jones threw was on fourth and six and a uh, like a, a deep attempt down the field when I think the defense probably wasn't ready for it. So I don't want to say like all four of those touchdowns were fluky, but they're not representative <laughs> – of what you normally see in a game with a with team moving the ball down the field and scoring in a normal fashion. So I think it's pretty easy to be pessimistic based on on what we saw last week out of the D.C. defenders. Not to say that they're not one of the better teams in the league, but six and a half just feels like a lot of points. So I'm going with the Guardians plus six and a half. Raybon, do you have a lean on this game?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I like the uh, Tampa Bay heading into week one, and I was dead wrong. Um, and I think one of the biggest factors that was so difficult to weigh heading into that first week was defense. And when yeah. I look at uh, the Guardians defense, the New York Guardians, I, I, I'm, I was impressed. You know, they held Tampa Bay to three points. They were able to um, limit them from, you know, turning yards into points. And I think that's key. And I think, you know, as, as you guys kind of hit on, I, I love the uh, Guardians plus six and a half. And I think they're uh, – the D, DC is going to be overvalued because no one knows how to really get a grip on defense. So everyone's just kind of looking at the, the offenses still. But, um, you know, this defense – totally different than seattle who i think we all agree is the worst team uh, in the week so Cardell jones 10.2 on DraftKings, a little overvalued for for me and i think the other interesting thing was just looking at some of the rotations like the running back rotation so for new york tim cook 27 snaps per pro football focus and darius victor 26 at running back justin stockton uh one And Matt Coburn zero. So um, that's something to keep in mind. Those two guys were were splitting work, and and the other two guys, they were not getting any work.
1: That New York defense uh, was pretty good. You know, the phrase, quote-unquote, laying the wood uh, is what they were doing. Uh, They got lots of sacks, uh, a lot of quarterback pressures, forced fumbles, interceptions. I mean, I'm not like a whiz when it comes to evaluating defense, but they immediately looked like one of the toughest defenses in the league. Any DFS plays that we like from this game, I mean I think Cardell Jones is probably like the the obvious one, but uh anyone really come to mind here
2: yeah so I think there's two really good cheap receivers in this game. Uh, I think the key to week two is kind of you know looking at guys that they probably didn't perform in the box score, but all the underlying usage was there uh Joe Horn jr is a guy that stands out at thirty four hundred I mean Mikhail McKay and Coley Pearson they they got sort of the the Box score stats, but Horn led the team in targets with seven. All three receivers ran a route on ninety percent of the dropback. so they were exclusively running three wide right receiver sets. So Horn was basically running a route on every pass attempt, um, and he only went uh, two catches for twenty-seven yards. That game, you, New York wasn't really forced to throw much. They they had a commanding lead the entire game. So I think Joe Horn in this matchup has a ton of potential at that price. And on the other side of the ball, almost the same thing with Malachi Dupree. Um, who's actually banged up so we have to monitor his status this week but he only went two catches for 14 yards despite leading the team with 84 percent of uh, routes per, run per dropback. back so um, he's another guy that has a ton of potential just by being on the field and then we ha- we also have to monitor DeAndre Tompkins might return this week so the DC uh, just the wide receiver depth chart could get shaken up a bit this week so we have to be careful with that but Dupree's super cheap at 4,500 and uh, you know if you're getting a guy that's Leading a team in routes run, that's a ton of uh, value. All
0: right, Raymond, anyone catch your eye? Yeah, I think uh, for New York, tight end Jake Powell, uh, he was one of the top tight ends. And it's interesting, it's just one week of data, but I was looking at kind of the week-wide trends and tight ends actually averaged 13.8 yards per reception and wide receivers averaged 12.7. So tight ends were kind of the big play guys in XFL in week one. And I think that's something interesting to watch and and to keep in mind and at least consider for some – some hidden upside. I know we were kind of thinking that we probably would just fade the position uh, for the most part. A lot of guys were, cause they're all lumped in with wide receivers, but uh, Powell at 3,200 for a guy who got uh, seven, seven targets um, you know, in that, in that first uh, matchup, I think it is a great, uh, is a great value.
1: All right, let's get to the next game. Tampa Bay Vipers at Seattle dragons. Uh, if you are looking at FanDuel Sportsbook as we're recording this, The Vipers favored by three points on the road, Uh, the only road favorite for the second week in a row, Uh, the lowest total on the slate at 45 points. Sean, what do you think of this game? I think this is probably the most fascinating game to handicap for week two.
2: Tampa Bay looked horrible week one, but I think when you look at the underlying data, I mean they they have potential there we We have to remember that they did lead the league with a, a win total of seven and a half, so we don't want to write them off completely after week one. They actually had a higher yards per play last week and they lost by twenty. You rarely see that and now, to be fair, we have to take that game in context. They were losing by double digits mostly the entire game. Aaron Murray. Uh he did look bad um and he got banged up. So we might see Flowers play a lot more quarterback this week if that's the case. So uh, I, I think they're gonna have to change things up this week. They they had four red zone drives and came out of zero touchdowns. Um so I think they're they're due for some regression. They like Ray Bond said, they did move the ball. They had the most yards for the week. Again, that likely due to trailing, but you know, there is potential there. We could see them regress and they're they're playing uh positive regression, I'd say. And uh, they're playing probably the team that we know is, is probably the worst team in the league in Seattle. So getting them at minus three and a half, I, I was hoping they'd probably be like minus one or something. But I think even at minus three and a half, I'll probably bite just to buy low on them. I think this is the opportunity where we can buy low on a team like Vipers.
0: Raybon, where are you leaning? I like the buy low call on Tampa Bay as well, and uh, Seattle. I mean, when you look at their when you look at their quarterback situation, Brandon Silver's. If you look at Pro Football Focus's grades, he was the worst graded of the starting quarterbacks. He went just twenty one of forty for two hundred seventeen yards. So even though he threw three touchdowns, uh, he only averaged five point four yards per attempt. That's about a, a almost a yard lower than the league average, and he threw two picks. So he was the He's one of only two quarterbacks uh, along with Aaron Murray on the other side, strangely enough, that threw two picks, multiple picks in a game. So, you know, from that perspective, it could be kind of a, a little bit of a sloppy type of situation. But I think we saw, you know, Austin Pro step it up for Seattle and then catch five for 60 on 10 targets. For Tampa Bay, Daniel Williams, uh, he, he really kind of showed out six for 123. So I think he'll be a guy who going forward, Probably have to treat him more like the number one guy. I know there was kind of a couple other guys near the top of that depth chart that we were thinking about, but uh, I think Williams really kind of showed out. And at 7,600, he's actually 1,600 cheaper than than Pro in the same game, and I think he has more upside, so I like him. All
1: right, at uh, DFS – I'm thinking uh, on Smith is someone who uh, is kind of standing out for me as the you know like the lead back there for uh, for Tampa Bay. There are so few locked in lead backs uh, in this league that uh, I think you basically have to consider almost anyone who seems to be getting uh, the majority or close to the majority of the carries for his team. So Smith is someone who stands out. Corner, do you have uh, any DFS thoughts here?
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed they have Quentin Flowers as a quarterback this week. I thought if they had him as a running back, there is some sneaky upside to have a quarterback in a running back slot. But I think for this game, again, sticking with the cheaper wide receivers, uh, Jalen Tolliver is another guy. He's 3.8K. Uh, he only went three catches for 47 yards last week, uh, but he saw eight targets, led the team with 95% of routes run on dropbacks. So there's a lot of potential there. Again, this team didn't score a touchdown week one. So uh, all these guys will probably be under in DFS, so they're due for some touchdown regression. I like him. And then Seattle brought in S.J. Green. I don't know if he'll be um, playing too much this week, but he's a guy we need to look out for. He was the active receiving yards leader in the CFL with over like 10,000, so he could hit the ground running on this in this league. And Seattle, you know, they need some – At wide receiver so he's a guy maybe next week we'll be targeting but he's a guy we'll be monitoring to see how much he's expected to play this week and if he if he's even available on DFS, might be a good uh, gpp flyer
1: all right the next game we have the first game on sunday the dallas renegades at the la wildcats on fanduel the wildcats are sorry on fanduel the renegades are favored by four points a 48 point over under sean where are you leaning in this game
2: this is probably the trickiest game to handicap this week because both starting quarterbacks were out last week right. and will be playing this week. So, I mean, at least L.A., you know, put up a fight. They, they put up a 14-point lead um, against Houston then gave up 25 unanswered points. But, you know, Dallas just stunk the entire game. They'll probably be a lot better with Landry Drones under center. So this is a game I'm staying away from. I thought you would see Dallas minus three and they're minus four and a half. Not that big of a deal. This is just a game I'm probably going to stay away from. I'd, I'd like to see each team play with their starting quarterback before really um, you know, taking a stand on a bet. So th- this game I'll just be watching. I-, I don't think I'll be taking this one.
1: Yeah, if I had to lean in, uh, on anything in this game, I would probably be leaning towards the under uh, at 48. Uh, you know, you have two quarterbacks who haven't played yet in the league. They're both kind of injured. You know, they could be rusty, not a strong connection with their wide receivers. And then I thought both coaching staffs kind of showed the willingness to uh, just sit on the ball and not really be as aggressive as they probably should have been last week. So that's a way I would lean in this game if I were to bet it. Uh, Rayvon, any thoughts here?
0: I would probably lean Dallas, you know, looking at LA, um, the two, you know, both of the teams lost in, in week one, both of the teams, new quarterbacks, but the difference is that LA just got completely trampled on defense. I mean, like, so you had Dallas lose and they gave up uh, what 15 points, but then you had LA lose to Houston. And I, I know Houston was a team we all liked and we had, we thought was uh, undervalued in the market. But that being said, I mean, Philip Walker now is the star of the league through four touchdowns, uh, 23 of 39 passing, 272 yards. James Butler got one of the few rushing touchdowns in the league in week one. It was just kind of a mess for, for LA on defense. So I think, you know, Dallas probably has some sneaky upside, especially if um, Landry J- Jones gives their, their offense a boost. So uh, I'm looking at Dallas as one of my favorite GPP teams to kind of stack uh, Landry Jones with, uh, with some of his, wide receivers and, and uh, Elijah Hood for, for Tampa, um, excuse me, for LA though, he had so, just around, uh, just over 70% of the carries. So that is a, that's a good sign in terms of, um, you know, DFS and you mentioned Friedman locked in uh, running backs, not many running backs were, were getting, you know, much more than 50% of their team's carries, even if they were in the team lead. So um, like Hood for workload.
1: I mean, one thing to mention with the LA Wildcats, they are the only team that is head coached by a defensive-minded guy. So the fact that they got (laughs) smoked on defense in week one doesn't speak well for them. On top of that, they fired their defensive coordinator almost immediately, I mean, not immediately after the game, but like within 24 hours, they fired their defensive coordinator, Pepper Johnson, and they cut their defensive captain, edge rusher, Anthony Johnson. It's like, what are they doing? That was in theory, going to be the strength of their team. And within one week, it's been decimated. So if I had to lean on a side, I would be going uh, against them almost regardless of whoever is playing against them because they they seem to be in disarray right now. Let's get to uh, some of the DFS plays. Ray you mentioned some guys there. Nelson Spruce... Uh, obviously got a lot of targets last week, was pretty impressive. Who knows if that is sustainable, but they don't seem to have much else on offense, so you could see how the ball gets funneled to him quite a bit. Sean, anyone from the DFS perspective stand out to you in this game?
2: I'll be avoiding L.A. if I can uh, You know, do that. It's hard to completely fade Spruce after last week, but he could be over-owned. Uh, Trey Trey McBride could return this week, so that could muddy the waters at wide receiver. Plus, Josh Johnson probably won't throw as much, so I'll be looking to fade them. Even though they're they're good contrarian play, if you want to go there uh, on Dallas' side, I do like Daniel Parham um, at 3,200. I, I kind of thought Sean Price would lead the team and you know routes run and stuff, but he Parham um, had him by a fairly large margin. I think it was like 65 to like 40, um, and Parham, he's, you know, he's a beast. He's six foot eight, 240, so he could be a red zone threat. And I think when you take a tight end, I think you do need a touchdown. Um, you know, three uh, three catches for 30 yards isn't going to cut it in a GPP. So I think he's he's a tight end at that price. I'd be willing to use it flex. You know, we, we talked about earlier, but tight ends were pretty sneaky. They had some value in week one, and I think Parham could be the guy in week two that um, is on a lot of winning teams.
1: All right, let's get to the final game of the slate. St. Louis Battle Hawks at the Houston Roughnecks on FanDuel. The Roughnecks are favored by eight. I think at one point I actually saw this line get up to eight and a half at a book, but uh, now we see it at eight here. And the over-under is 50 and a half. Uh, so the highest total of the slate. Sean, what do you think here?
2: Yeah, so this is another matchup where both teams look really good week one. And, you know, St. Louis, we thought they'd be – you know, sort of a bottom feeder, but they're they're probably more middle of the pack. So I think you can get some value on them here. Um I, I did take them when they were plus eight and a half. <laughs> I wish I bet a little bit more at this point, but yeah, I think it's it's too early to be giving Houston um, you know, that much credit. Like you said, uh it, it could be more that the LA defense is just terrible. We don't really know quite yet. And, you know, St. Louis knows it's coming, you know, Houston attempted what was it, 90% of their plays were a, a pass, So, um, they'll know it's coming. Um, and they, St. Louis went into Dallas in one week one, um, despite, you know, they had the backup quarterback. Dallas is supposed to be one of the better teams. So, I think we, we need to give St. Louis a little more respect after week one. So, I, I like them anything greater than uh, seven here.
1: Raymond,
0: what do you think? Yeah, um, I think there's value on St. Louis because if you look at, you know, all right, Houston – they they go and they play um, they play the Wildcats and I'm looking at the grades for for the quarterbacks and you know even though Phil Walker put up that big game with the four touchdowns the one pick um, he's actually the fifth rated quarterback in PFF's grades and and uh, and Jordan Tamu the quarterback for St Louis is number three so that tells me that you know there was something there there was a little bit to do with that with that LA defense for for Houston and, you know, St. Louis, they got a tough win. Um, you know, they kind of grinded out a tough win against a team that we thought was very good. So, yeah, I think the value will, in fact, be on on them. And, uh, you know, I'd still like Houston, but uh, I think last week was the time to kind of buy in on them uh, in the futures market. And now it looks like a good opportunity to kind of play that recency bias and, uh, and and fade them for St. Louis.
1: You know, one thing that was uh, interesting is that we did see uh, last week uh, St. Louis just dominate the ball. Uh, 71 plays, I believe, on offense. A lot of them were running plays. I think they were the the most run-heavy team in the league. And so it'll be curious to see if they go that way again. Uh, in an attempt, to obviously, to keep the high-scoring offense uh, off of the field for the, the Houston Roughnecks. And so I'm curious what that might end up doing with the, over, uh, the over-under. But if I had to lean, I, I don't know. I guess I, just, I would probably still lean on the under for uh, a lot of these totals. But, um, yeah, the, the Houston Roughnecks, I think if there is one team that really on their own has the capability of driving a game to the over, that's the team. Like they have the offense that is fully functional at this point to do that. Uh, DFS plays, anything stand out to you guys? One guy who's uh, interesting to me is uh, Nick Hawley, who is uh, technically a running back, uh, but they are using as a wide receiver who's lining up and uh, who's actually getting uh, a decent share of, of targets on a team that throws the ball relentlessly. Uh, and at running back position where – few guys have really distinguished themselves at this point Um, to find a player who I think could be pretty contrarian uh, and who isn't expensive, who has, uh, you know, some locked-in targets uh, on a high-scoring offense. That might be kind of intriguing. Uh, Who has caught your eye, Sean?
2: Oh, I love the holly call. And he's also – he also used to play quarterback. And even though we didn't really see that double forward past week one, you never know, we could see uh, teams get more aggressive. So he'd be a guy that – could be a part of those plays. So I love him at running back, too. That's a great call. Um, and then I, I think at QB, um, Jordan Tiamu, like at 8,900 with his rushing upside, he's probably the top play in terms of value for me at quarterback. Um, you know, he had nine rush rushes for 77 yards, and he looked like a great runner. Um, and this week, you know, against Houston, he might be forced to throw a bit more and a potential shootout. So um, I just love him at that price. On Houston's side, I know everybody realizes that Houston is – you know, basically the Kansas City Chiefs, like they're going to throw a ton. They're a great DFS team, um, especially at wide receiver. Um, but I think a good pivot player would be taking James Butler's spending up to take the running back. Um, he's a bit pricey. So he's he's in no way like a must play, but just a way to pivot off the pass heavy offense. And he scored a, a rushing touchdown and a receiving touchdown uh, last week. And he he returns all their kickoffs. So I think we didn't really see any um, return touchdowns week one, but with the rules and stuff, I think it is valuable to have a guy that's returning kickoffs. So I think he has he has a ton of potential at 6,300. Like I said, he's not a slam dunk play. He's more of a spend up to go contrarian and pivot off the Houston uh, passing attack.
0: Raybom, what do you think here? I'm looking at the running backs for St. Louis because, as you mentioned, Friedman, they play ball control. And Matt Jones, he had 21 carries for 85 yards. He played 48 snaps, according to Pro Football Focus. That was double Kristen Michael, who played just 23 snaps. And then Keith Ford also mixed in for for a handful, ended up getting a, a touchdown. But I think if they are going to continue to play like this, um, Matt Jones could have tremendous upside just because of you know most of these teams aren't really be- that run heavy, and uh, St. Louis was that exception to the rule in-, in Week One. You know, the average the average team had about uh, twenty average twenty two point three carries per game, and St. Louis had thirty nine. So that means the rest of the league averaged just under twenty carries per game. St. Louis almost doubled them up in in carries and. Uh, the average team, 94.3 rushing yards. St. Louis, 191. And then I'm looking at the broken tackles. So PFF has... Matt Jones with only three broken tackles. That's, you know, there's a bunch of guys with um, three. There's a, and then uh, another four guys have uh, four or more. So that tells me that all those carries and he was kind of consistently, you know, just kind of playing physical and consistently making strong runs. And, and this team was making strong runs. And I think that's something to kind of keep in mind because they, there could, there could be one or even two of the backs, you know, even Michael maybe um, could end up outscoring a lot of the rest of the league just because of that volume. So I think um, they're team I'll definitely be looking at. And then for those same reasons, I think I am going to be fading Houston a little bit on offense. Number one, because again, I think that their opponent in week one was a little bit, little bit weak. And then, you know, number two, that ball control on the other side. So St. Louis, you know, they have the, the number three rank out of the eight teams run blocking in, in terms of in week uh, one. And so I think St. Louis, um, could, there's definitely a danger of St. Louis kind of playing keep away here.
1: Kristen Michael still screwing over fantasy investors (laughs) in the year 2020. It's pretty amazing. Seven carries, zero yards. Uh, What a performance. Let's talk about these futures. We have the DC Defenders at plus 350 on FanDuel, the New York Guardians at plus 430, the Roughnecks at plus 500, the Renegades at plus 650, the Vipers at plus 650, the Battlehawks at plus 700, the Wildcats at plus 1200, and the Dragons bringing up the rear at plus 1,600. Sean, any of these stand out to you?
2: Well, I I would just say now would be a good time to sort of buy back in on Dallas and even Tampa Bay at uh, plus 650. You know, Dallas did look bad, but, you know, they get Landry Jones back this week, hopefully. So, you know, these two teams were considered the favorites heading in. in. And we have to assume every team's going to lose one game, and they just they already got that out of the way. So I think that just in terms of playing the market, those would be the teams if you're going to bet. Um,
1: I think I'd target those. All right. Renegades and Vipers, both, both available at plus 650 at DraftKings. Rayvon, uh, any of these features catch your eye?
0: Yeah, I love the Tampa Bay call, and I, I like the Battlehawks. You know, they're still, what do they have, the third uh, mm. longest odds to win? And if you look at their overall team grade in PFF, it's just one week, but they were the top-rated team overall. And I think, um, you know, they also beat a very good team. And, you know, that's kind of the difference between St. Louis and p- potentially some of these other teams, at least, you know, New York excluded, but St. Lu- when New York's price went up, St. Louis is still, I think, at a, a decent price. You know, anytime you have an 18 team league and you can get uh, a team for, you know, near that, you know, seven to one here for, Saint, for St. Louis, that's the team I want to invest on. So before week one, it was Houston. Uh, now it's St. Louis. All right, guys, favorite bets on
1: the board for week two. Sean, what do you have? I'm going to go with uh,
2: Tampa Bay uh, minus three and a half. I mean, it's a bit of a leap of faith play. Um, and we've talked about it. Uh, we've talked about in the preview that I think Seattle will have one of the better home field advantages. But they're, they're probably the worst team in the league. And Tampa Bay, I mean, they did move the ball. Like I said, they had four red zone drives, came in with zero touchdowns. I think that'll regress. Murray had two picks. Nick Shrewsdale looked great. And he just, he happened to have that fumble that got returned for a touchdown. So they had a lot of bad luck despite being able to move the ball. So I think, you know, due to some positive regression this week, that could see them winning by double digits. Um, so I'm taking – I don't like taking, you know, field goal favorites on the road in the NFL, but I think when it comes to this league, uh, variance is our friend. So I think we'll see the Vipers bounce back this week and look like one of the better teams.
1: All right, and they are available at minus three at DraftKings and FanDuel. Raybon, who do you like? St. Louis.
0: I mean, this is is a, they're plus, first of all, the biggest spread on the board, plus eight. This is a team that they were the top graded team in the league uh, per PFF. They were a team that they beat a team in Dallas. Yes. Dallas missing their starting quarterback, but still, um, you know, a team we thought would would be very good. And now you're sitting here with the biggest spread just because Houston beats up on this. What I think is a, a pretty bad wildcats defense. So, I, I think there's value on straight up the St. Louis money line. There's going to be a lot of kind of variants anyway. Uh, you could get their money line at about plus 255, uh, but I take them at plus eight as well. I just think that's the, uh, that's the team that kind of sticks out here uh, in, terms of the, uh, in terms of the value. Again, they played well. They beat a good team. Uh, their quarterback, Jordan Tamu, dual threat ability, uh, was one of the best quarterbacks in, in week one and uh, played against uh, what I think is a much you know, tougher defense. So the, the overall score didn't stand out, but we could be looking back at that, you know, six point road win for St. Louis, you know, in a few weeks and saying, wow, that, you know, that really amps up their degree of difficulty. And, and, and so uh, I, w- I would want to take advantage of that now. I think that that line is way too big. No way they should be the biggest underdogs on the board, in my opinion.
1: All right, and uh, my favorite, the Guardians, plus six and a half. Uh, We talked about them earlier in the show. Uh, I just think that they were pretty impressive offensively and defensively, and uh, the defenders not 100% sold on uh, what they did in week one. So six and a half, just uh, a lot to be getting. I will gladly take the points there that is going to do it for this episode of the x flex on the action network podcast you can follow sean chris and me in the action network app at the underscore odds maker chris raybon and matt f the oracle check out the rest of our episodes and live shows this week please subscribe to and rate and review the show on apple podcast radio.com or wherever you get your podcast and don't forget you can listen and download on spotify it's what all of the cool kids are doing see you again next episode